Get Your House in Order, by Brother Tim Aaron. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order. For you shall die, you shall not recover. 2 Kings 22 verse 1, ESV. Brother Tim Aaron brings the word of God for the end time. You can find more information about Brother Tim Aaron at www.thiefinthenightministries.com. And here is Brother Tim Aaron. Glory to glory to glory to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for tuning in to Get Your House in Order. I'm your host, Tim Aaron. I hope uh, you have enjoyed the previous um, broadcasts, lessons, discussions, shows over uh, the past so many weeks. Uh, I try to do my very best to to keep it a 100% pure Bible. Um, that's not always easy to do. Uh, let's just be honest about it. You know, a lot of a lot of ministries claim to keep it 100% Bible, and just that quick before they get those words out of their mouth, they are incorporating uh, modern day culture into their lecture, into their teaching, and into their sermons or what have you. And uh, and it's unfortunate. We have to respect and understand the power of culture, of tradition, and how it may be affecting us. So you, we have to um, respect that fact. And when we study uh, the word of God, we have to, you know, keep asking ourselves, you know, are we sticking to the Bible or are we incorporating culture and tradition into this teaching? Now, that's not to say all culture and all tradition is wrong, but most of the time, Culture and tradition can add to the word of God or take away from the word of God, which is wrong, which is a problem, uh, which uh, the Bible calls a lie. Anytime you add to the word of God, according to Proverbs 30 and five, uh, that is the definition of what it means to lie with God when you compromise his word in any way. And so you have to uh, be cautious of that, be aware of that fact, because you don't want to be lying when it comes to the word of God. And so that's why I humbly approach the, the Bible and the scripture. And I try to keep it uh, 100% pure Bible. And the way you do that is by interpreting scripture by scripture. You know, I, I cringe when I see people uh, teaching from the Bible and then they get the Webster's dictionary out. Wow. That's great. You know, that's uh a 1900s uh, definition book, you know, pretty much. So now the, a lot of the words have been changed over centuries and centuries of compromising. So you don't want to do that. You want to try to interpret scripture by scripture as much as possible. And you'll find out that so many uh, English words today have taken on a different meaning over the years, over the centuries uh, of time, and um, and 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 a lot of a lot gets lost in translation because of it. 
And so when you keep, when you interpret scripture by scripture, especially in the King James version, I can't stress that enough either. Uh, when you interpret scripture by scripture, um, it's, it's, it's a whole lot safer, okay, to keep it Bible. Uh, when you can reference another scripture to explain another scripture, that's how you do it. And, um, and then you can build on that, I believe. So that's what this ministry tries to do every chance it gets. And, um, and then I mentioned also the King James Version. King James Version was originally published in 1611, and then it was revised in 1700s. And the 1700 revision is the main version most people read from when they read the King James Version, myself included. Um, I really uh, respect that version a whole lot. Um, in the, uh, the in the seventeen early seventeen hundreds, um, there was no American culture at that time, and so um, the uh, but there was European or English culture at that time. So, um, but a lot of American culture do, doesn't even exist in our in the King James version. So that gives us a chance a lot of times to uh, understand what the original text intended. Uh, so, cause, cause American culture is very strong. It's very strong. Uh, thanks to television, uh, television, uh, radio and television has really shaped American culture so much today. And, um, and I want to tell you, uh, the devil is behind television culture so much leading us away from, uh, the path of righteousness. You know, I remember Matthew, I believe it is, um, uh, where the Bible says that, uh, broad, wide is the path to destruction. And many there will go down that path, but narrow is the way straight is the, is, uh, is the path that leads to righteousness and few there be that find it. Um, that, that scripture is so powerful people. And, um, it, and it's so true. Um, we grew up watching television and, uh, most of us don't realize how much of an impact, uh, television has had on our lives based on how we come to understand things based on, uh, what we conclude our moral and ethical compass has been shaped by television, whether we know it or not. You know, it, it's a shame when people say, oh, television is not that big of a deal. It's just for entertainment. Oh, Satan loves it when we think that because Satan is all up in television. I'm talking about from television commercials and cartoons all the way to uh, movies and situation comedies and dramas and Netflix and all of this, uh, the theater, you know, the television can influence you from thinking as a child, you can jump off the porch with an umbrella and float down to the ground. Okay. I'm guilty of that. When I was a kid, I was watching Tom and Jerry or something and saw Tom floating off the roof because he had an umbrella. And so I get my umbrella and I jump off the porch thinking I'm going to float and, and, you know, and almost twisted my ankle to 
coming to understand marriage. You know, we 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 have a lot of television to uh, train us in how we come to understand the, the standards for marriage. And that's where Satan really shows itself there. I believe um, today this is Satan's number one area of lies and confusion uh, that so many people fall victim to. Um, uh, give you a quick example. Um, we grew up watching Happy Days to the Cosby Show to Roseanne. And one thing that these shows all have in common when they when they show the marriage, you know, they'll show the bedroom scene where the husband and the wife, they share the same bedroom and they share the same bed and they retire to the same bed every single night and in a warm embrace. And it's all warm and fuzzy and wonderful. And and, and that's a trick of the devil. Just that quick right there, because in my study of the Bible. I have found that there is evidence throughout the scripture where it, where it shows that married couples did not share the same bed, nor did they even share a lot of times the same room. Okay. Uh, and the, and the consensus I drew from that is that it's just common and practical whereby people need their own space to recharge, to recharge at the end of the night, People need their own space. Now, when it comes to doing uh, what married people do, that's going to happen. You know, that's not going to stop. And that's not what I'm speaking against. I'm just talking about this standard on television where it shows married people retiring to the same bedroom and the same bed every single night as a standard for marriage. And people today can believe that if they don't do that, that then their marriage is dysfunctional, something wrong with their marriage. But on the contrary, there is a general need for some solitude and some privacy for everybody, men and women. Um, and I think this is a trick of the devil to get married people to get on each other's last nerve, not giving each other enough space to recharge, to have personal time, you know, from uh, a man not feeling like showering that night. And 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 he must just just come home and go to bed. But his wife wants him to shower and she don't want to smell him. Rightfully so. And and now they got that little conflict or 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 it might be her time of the month and she might not be feeling so fresh and she might need her own space. And and and, and that's a problem now. Now she has to face going to bed at night dealing with that issue or. Or it might have been something he ate and now he has to hold his gas every night when he really just wants to relax and let it rip. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and all of these little little things add up over time and where you can after time, you can view going to bed at night as a chore, you know, whether that, rather than something relaxing, you know, that's what that's what. Uh, a false standard can do. It can build up over time, even though it might seem small and insignificant. Satan understands this. You know, we see uh, in uh, Abraham and Sarah's story, we talked about how, how Sarah had her own tent. That's when um, uh, Isaac married his wife, Rebecca, into his mother's tent because his mother had passed and her tent was available. And in the, in the Bible mentioned that Sarah had her own tent. So Abraham and Sarah did not return to the same tent every night. You know, people need their own space. 
just their own quiet time, their own personal time, their own thinking time, their own time to scratch and to relieve themselves as they will or to smell the way they smell. They, they might not feel like showering every night. Can you imagine how hard it was to stay fresh back in those days? They didn't have what we have today. So you have to understand these these factors and these these little little principles that Satan understands. And that's why he 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 brainwashes us into adopting these little principles that works against us. You know, I believe in that little old saying absence, make the heart grow fonder. You know, you gave each other enough space and then you can appreciate each other, you know, versus seeing going to bed at night as a chore and as a burden and as a yoke because you don't feel like doing all the necessary things you need to do every single night in order not to offend your spouse because you lay next to your spouse in this bed that I feel like I have to do every night in order to have a functional marriage. See, that's that's a great example right there. And so that's what television does. And that's just one of many examples. So, you know, that exposure of that standard right there, probably just saved tons of people's marriage right there. You know, you get a breakthrough, you get some truth and it'll make you free. Don't feel condemned if you feel like you need to sleep on the couch sometime for the man or the woman. Don't feel condemned if y'all have a guest bedroom and hey, y'all retire to the guest bedroom so you can have some me time. Don't feel condemned. That's that's cool. That's okay. It's needed. Now, I'm just bringing that out there because some people need to know these kind of things. Uh, Now, if sleeping in the same bed every single night works, then let it work. I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying these are the kind of things that television can brainwash us into believing must be done. Okay, so I think that was a really good example of uh, of how television can do. Just what I've been saying they can do. Okay, before I go any further, I always like to start the show with offering an, uh, an invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, about 2000 years ago, uh, Jesus decided to come to the earth to redeem man back to God. Man was lost in his sins uh, back during the days of Adam and Eve when they took the forbidden fruit uh, and they were separated from God. In every sense, for 4,000 years, they were separated from God because of that sin. And, uh, and man, man was condemned to die. But Jesus decided to put a stop to that condemnation and he decided to come to the earth and redeem man back to God. So he came through the door through the Virgin Mary and Joseph and Mary raised Jesus. And right around the age of about 30, Jesus began his ministry and he began to do all sorts of wonderful and amazing things. Uh, He began to deliver people from sickness and disease, from poverty um, he began to be a great breath of fresh air in those days. And people were getting all sorts of breakthroughs and deliverance, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blinded eyes, opening deaf ears, teaching people the ways of God and the kingdom of God in the New Testament. And as a result, uh, because of his, his great power and anointing, 
he began to draw many people, multitudes, as the Gospels put it. And they began to follow him. And as a result, those people left the synagogues and the temple and, um, and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the different ministries of that time did not appreciate Jesus still in their members. Okay. Just to, just to make it plain. And so in spite of Jesus's great anointing, in, in spite of Jesus being the son of God, in spite of Jesus being this great, wonderful person, these ministers did not like Jesus. Okay. Because Jesus had messed with their ministry and their money. Okay. So they began to conspire on how they were going to kill Jesus. And so to make a long story short, they finally got uh, Pilate and the Roman government to arrest Jesus and to imprison Jesus. And they and as Jesus was arrested with a, because of the lies that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees put against him, as he was arrested, the soldiers beat Jesus, slapped Jesus, punched Jesus, spit on Jesus. Then they made a crown of thorns and placed it on his head uh, to blood was running down his face. And they mocked him, calling him the king of the Jews with this crown of thorns that was piercing him all throughout his head. Then they nailed him to a tree, to a cross. And then when he was on this cross and he was thirsty and he asked for water, they gave him vinegar to drink. And then he died. He died on the cross. They pierced him in his side to blood and water ran out. But what they did not know was that they were fulfilling the purpose of Jesus Christ to redeem man back to God. With his death, he did just that. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10 and 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, all you need to do is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for your sins and for the sins of the entire world. And, and if you believe that and you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're saved. This is really just that simple. And then you repent of your sins and then you begin to learn of Jesus, learn of his ways and live according to his teachings. And that's what make you a Christian. So it's really just that simple. If you have made that decision, you have made the best decision you can possibly make in your entire life. OK, amen. Praise God. OK, we're going to get into this week's teaching. Uh this, te this week's teaching is entitled Whoredom and Harlots. Whoredom and Harlots. Okay. Um, let's read. We're going to be reading in the book of Revelation. Um, let me um, say this. Um, this ministry loves talking about end time prophecy. Um you know, mainly throughout the entire Bible, the uh, main main books that talk about end time prophecy, of course, is Revelation, the book of Daniel. Um, you got Ezekiel. 
uh, Isaiah, and then you have the Gospels. A lot of people don't realize that the Gospels deal with so much in time prophecy and interpretations uh, directly and indirectly. There is a lot of indirect uh, messages given to us by Jesus himself concerning the end times that I've talked about uh, in the past. And so if you follow this ministry, you will you will you will find that out. And, and and I believe you will find it to be accurate and true that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John deal with a lot of end time prophecies in an indirect way. A lot of the parables and a lot of the teachings of Jesus Christ uh, pertain to the end times uh, that we read about in the book of Revelations as well. So uh, <clears throat> so this ministry uh, believes in, um, you know, the, one of the main questions that come up when you talk about end times is when does the rapture take place? Is it a pre-tribulation rapture or is it a post-tribulation rapture? Uh, this ministry believes in the post-tribulation rapture. Uh, to me, the Bible says it plainly. Uh, Jesus says it twice plainly. In John chapter 6, uh, verses 39, 40, 44 and 54. He said, all them that belong to him, he will lose nothing. And he's going to gather again unto himself at the last day. And I believe Jesus says it four times because he understood that there's going to be this debate today. And so that is a prophecy within itself right there, I believe. Um, and then, of course, in Matthew chapter 24, he says, immediately after the tribulation shall the sun be darkened. And the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven will fall. You might say, oh, well, that's the second coming. OK, keep reading. And then he's going to send his angels at the sound of a trump to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. OK, or, for the, or from the four winds of the earth, north, south, east and west. So, see, there is this gathering of his people once again. That's all the elect mean. It means his people, all them that belong to him. And so. And that's the rapture. The rapture takes place at the last day. The sun darkened, moon will not give her light, and the stars of heaven will fall. So the Bible tells us plainly when the rapture takes place. I believe the um, the the orchestration of the book of Revelations threw a lot of ministries off because when they read the book of Revelations, thinking that it is a chapter by chapter in order story, you know, they might see. Uh, a description of the of the rapture in Revelation chapter seven and Revelation chapter 14. And they might feel like that this is showing us that the rapture takes place early. But what they don't understand is that the book of Revelation is not those those uh, visions that John receives is not delivered to him in order of time. So John jumps around all over the place according to time. And so it's like a lot of the movies we watch today where they'll show you the end of the story at the beginning. And then the rest of the story uh, jumps back in time to show you the events that led up to what they already showed you. So that creativity, I believe, was given to us uh, in Hollywood uh, by God so we can see how revelations works. That's right. So I believe there's going to be a lot of ministries that's going to have to repent on this strong but inaccurate pre-tribulation rapture teaching. Okay. Jesus tells us plainly, it takes place at the last day twice. He tells us twice in two different places. John chapter six, verses 39, 40, 44, and 54. 
And he also tells us in Matthew chapter 20, 24, verses 29 through 31, I believe. So that's what this ministry teaches, a post-tribulation rapture. Um, and um, and this ministry also likes to deal with tough issues uh, like concerning marriage and homosexuality and and, and, and all sorts of other stuff that um, can be a help to the body of Christ and that can be um, enlightening to even uh, unsaved people that they might come to Christ and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, so let's get back to the topic here, whoredom and harlots. Um, our, our passage of reading is going to start in Revelations chapter 17. And we're going to read verses one through five. Revelations chapter 17, verses one through five. Okay, we're going to read this. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit on a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Verse five, and upon her forehead was a name written mystery Babylon the great whore the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth okay um <clears throat> now when you know anything about whoredom and harlotry uh based on the bible from the Bible's perspective and from the Bible's point of view, you know, that's not just talking about, um, you know, prostitution, like we might come to understand it today. You know, it's more than just that. It, it, it deals with uh, also um, a married woman that cheats on her husband. If you uh, read, uh, Proverbs chapter six and seven, it refers to her as a whore, but she's also married, you know, so it, it involves the adultery factor as well. You know, the Bible refers to the adulterous woman as a whore or as harlotry or whoredom as well. And the, um, and the men that she sleeps with, the Johns or the, or the adulterous men are part of the whoredom as well. And so it, it's it's more involved than just the, the the woman that you see standing on the corner, um, waiting for somebody to pick her up. Uh, you know, it's more than just that. So, 
keep that in mind when it comes to the Bible. It's, it's also including the, the the unfaithful wife and the and the man she lays with as well. So, um, <clears throat> now uh, another another factor we have to understand is the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, uh, as the wife of Christ, you know? And, and so this passage, when it's talking about this woman and, and, and harlotry in this way, it's referring to the spiritual uh, whoredom and harlotry and fornication of the church. That's what this passage is really pointing at and talking about. Um and so I have I have said before and I say it again, I believe this prophecy that we just read, Revelation chapter 17, is pointing to um primarily the Catholic Church and secondarily the Protestant Church. Um there is a lot of compromising churches in the world today. And um but let's look at some of the things that it, it points out here. Um, let's look at verse four. It says the woman arrayed in purple and scarlet. Okay. Now, if you look at the Catholic church, uh, the Vatican, uh, when they hold, you know, big time services like, like right now, uh, Lent and Easter and all that, they will wear purple robes. Okay. And red robes, the cardinals in the Catholic church, uh, high, you know, priest leadership, I believe it is. And they wear red robes. So this says a red and purple, red and scarlet color decked with gold and precious stones. If you ever see the Pope's crown, I believe it, it, it has, uh, rubies and, 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 and emeralds in it and stuff. And then you, and then it talks about a golden cup here. Uh, when you see them doing the, the Eucharist or communion, the, the communion sacrifice, they, they drink out of a, a golden or a brass colored cup. That's right. So to me, this is pointing to the Catholic church and, uh, the Catholic church, uh, over the years have shown itself to be very political uh, always trying to associate with uh, governments, nations, and, and 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 kingdoms to fit in, you know, to be accepted. Um, in 2018, Catholic Church just made some sort of agreement with China, which made history because it ended like a little cold war between uh, the Catholic Church and China. Uh, so now the, the Chinese government is now accepting the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church is now accepting Chinese priests as real Catholics. OK, so the, uh, the Catholic Church has always been this political organization that wants to be socially accepted by a worldly nation. So I believe that's what this is talking about here. And then um, let's go down to uh, verse five. It says, and upon her forehead was a name written mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now it calls 
her the mother of harlots. Now, if you know anything about um, the Protestant church, the Protestant church came out of the Catholic church. Okay. And I believe led by the, um, I believe he was a priest named Martha Luther. And then uh, he broke away from the Catholic church and started the Protestant movement. If I got my facts right. And now, you know, under the, under the Protestant church, we had all sorts of denominations, um, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, and so forth. These are all part of the Protestant church. Now, um, now, now let me make something clear. I'm not saying every single Catholic, every single Protestant is bad, evil, or wicked. I'm just talking about this is this is speaking of uh, uh, a major general entity here, you know, um, and we're going to find this out as we go a little further. But we see today uh, there's so many churches um, throughout this country in America. I imagine it's the same in other free countries like <clears throat> the UK and uh, France and maybe Germany and, and different places where you got freedom of religion. I'm, I imagine you probably see a lot of Christian churches throughout the region. And, um, and let's just be plain about it because it can pay really well if you start a successful church. And when I say successful, I meant just, just people wise, you know, membership wise, um, you get a, a, a large membership and you get a large membership hand ties and offering and, you know, you stand to make some really good money, not to mention, you know, a large membership. Now you have status in the community and, and you know, and that's powerful. So, you know, there's a good opportunity to be gained that way and that way alone. And that's just be honest about it. That is the motivation of a lot of ministries today, you know, the, the money and the social status and the politics of it. OK, um, so I remember listening to a guy on the radio. He was an atheist and he went on to say that he believes that nine out of ten, nine out of ten churches in America are hypocrites. And what he meant by that was that they're not really sincere about uh, being being people of God and helping people get to God. He felt like that nine out of 10 churches were just there trying to make a good living for themselves and trying to become uh, politically powerful and socially strong, but not really in it for what they really supposed to be in it for. You know, and I can't really argue with that. You know, even though he's an atheist and I'm a Christian, I can't really argue with him on that because I believe that that's pretty much true. And um, so that's what the, I believe this passage is talking about. It's talking about the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, the Catholic Church being the mother in verse in verse five of Revelations chapter 17 and um and the descendants being the Protestant church. Okay. Uh, we see a lot of churches nowadays, especially a lot of Protestant churches nowadays having this, uh, acceptance of same sex marriage, you know, which is, uh, which is an abomination. Okay. 
And it is uh, the very definition of marriage is a heterosexual definition within itself. You can't have same sex marriage no more than you can have cold fire. Right. Uh, you can't have same sex marriage no more than you can have um, dry water. OK, it's a contradiction to say same sex marriage uh, because the very definition is a hetero sexual definition. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause, for the cause of male and female, shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and they too, male and female shall be one flesh. This is the definition of marriage. Wherefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate or put asunder. So this is the very definition of marriage. It's a heterosexual definition. And so that's why it is an abomination to participate or to support something called same sex marriage. It is very ungodly. But you have churches who claim to be Christ led churches. Accepting same sex marriage, performing same sex marriages, um, you know, uh, allowing same sex um, people to be leaders and teachers in the church. You know, this is what this passage of scripture is talking about. And it's going to get worse as we get into the last days. Um, I believe that the uh, that the false prophet that we read about in Revelation chapter 13 is going to be none other than the pope. And the pope's going to have a lot of followers, a lot of Catholic followers and a lot of Protestant followers. And he's going to be working for the Antichrist. OK, uh, so I believe that's what we read about in Revelation chapter 13. So. <clears throat> um, you have to get back to what is this nature and what's natural, you know, and, and the world is having a very hard time doing that today. Uh, we not only see that with, you know, the homosexual movement and the transgender movement movement, you know, a person born a male decides that he wants to change his sex and become a female. And then now he wants to force his identity change onto the world by saying, I want to be able to go, into the female bathroom with other real females, making them uncomfortable uh, with female children, female adults. And now uh, laws in our country are agreeing with that and making room for that. And it's becoming ridiculous. And you, now you get transgender teachers teaching your kids. And now you got to pull your kids out of school because you don't want your, your, your kids being taught in that way and being influenced by that. And it's it's a crisis. It's becoming a crisis and it's going to get worse and worse and worse as we get closer to the final seven years and to the, you know, to the uh, Great Tribulation. So um, this is what I believe this passage is is showing us. And we are working towards it right now. Revelation chapter 17, verses one through five is what we just read. OK, let's go to uh, Revelations and uh, write the next chapter, Revelations uh, chapter 18, where it's talking about the same thing, uh, giving us more information. Revelation chapter 18, and we're going to read also verses one through five. Um, well, we read 
uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. Now we're going to read Revelation chapter 18, 1 through 5. And, um, and it reads, And uh, after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with uh, his glory. And he cried, with a strong voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit in the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. Okay, verse five. For her sins have reached into heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. Okay, now I wanted to point out some stuff here. Now, this is talking about the end when the wrath of God is about to come upon the world. So we're talking about at the end of the great tribulation, the great tribulation is winding up the last three and a half years of life on earth as we know it. Okay. That's, that's the great tribulation. And then uh, the wrath of God is about to come and execute judgment on the earth. Okay. And um, so there's going to be a great fall of this great city, Babylon, which I believe is the Vatican. Okay. In Italy, Rome, I believe uh, the Pope at that time is going to be the, the false prophet and he's going to lead Catholicism under the antichrist and going to have a lot of followers in many nations. And that's why it says, um, in verse three, many nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now it refers to this city, Babylon as her. Why? Why as her? Because this is the church and the church was always the bride of Christ, of Jesus Christ. But this church during this time is going to commit adultery and play the whore against Jesus Christ and serve the antichrist. So that's why we call this the spiritual adultery or spiritual fornication. Because this is about uh, the church cheating on God or, or no, the church cheating on Jesus. OK, so. Um, and it talks about how many churches, I mean, many uh, nations are, are going to become rich through their alliance and their partnership with this uh, church. Are with this city, Great Babylon. And um, so I believe this is letting us know that if I'm right about it, the Vatican is going to, in the last days, have so many partnerships throughout the world with so many nations. And uh, and this partnership is going to be a strong financial partnership. And uh, both are going to be thriving. Okay. And... Um, Let's go look in verse four. 
And uh, I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. So once again, that uh, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. Once again, not all Catholics are going to be condemned in that way. Not all Protestants are going to be condemned in that way. They're going to be some true heart, pure heart. Catholics and Protestants that are Christians. They're going to be in the wrong place because they are probably going to be right there in the middle of things. And this is probably describing the rapture where Jesus is now about to rapture up his church, which you're going to have some in at, at the Vatican in Italy, Rome and around the world as well. And uh, they're going to be raptured up out of the way because we have not been called to his wrath. Okay, so he's going to rapture us out of the way as he began to pour out his wrath upon the earth, which takes place after the Great Tribulation. Now, I've said that before. A lot of people uh, believe that the end times can't really take place or the abomination uh, can't take place until a third Jewish temple is built in Jerusalem. And I believe that that is a great, great misunderstanding. Uh, Jesus called it the holy place in Revelation. I mean, in Matthew chapter 24, he calls uh, it the holy place where the abomination of desolation is going to take place. Now, just just being truthful, there is absolutely nothing holy anymore about a Jewish temple. Why do I say that? Because it does not recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior it's just that simple. Uh, a holy place always starts with Jesus Christ. Now, a Jewish temple was holy in the days of Solomon and in the days of Nehemiah, the second temple. But a third temple would not have any holy bearing whatsoever because you have to follow the great trans transition of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that when that when Jesus came, that was the fulfillment of the of the law and of the prophets. And uh, there was something that Jesus said, I believe it was in Matthew chapter 12. The Bible says that his mother and his brethren were standing out while he was teaching on the Sabbath day and doing things on the Sabbath day. And they was trying to tell him that he shouldn't be doing that. And they was trying to get to him. But there was a crowd. And, and Jesus got word, hey, your mother and your brethren are standing out trying to get to you. And Jesus said, my mother and my brethren are them that do the will of my father. Wow. Now, see, just that right there is a great example of what I was talking about earlier, how the Gospels speak so much about the end times directly and indirectly. So you have to understand that now that Jesus has come on the scene and died on the cross, now it's all about Jesus Christ, all about Jesus Christ. So you have to understand this and make the adjustment. Okay. And so now the elect and the holy place and the people of God are Christians now, not Jews, but Christians now. So you don't have Christians in Jerusalem and the Jewish temple and the synagogue is not Christian. That's still Jewish. So a holy place and uh, the, the elect 
are going to have to be Christians. So that setting, the abomination of desolation and the holy place setting is already set and ready to go. The Vatican, St. Peter's Square, St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel, those are great, beautiful architectural structures up, ready, and in operation right now as we speak. So that is where I believe the abomination of desolation is going to take place. Okay. So, so moving on. And uh, once again, Jesus is going to rapture up his people out of these places and around the world and get them out of the way and then begin to execute his judgment on the earth. Um, so make no mistake about it. You know, whoredom and harlotry is a major problem uh, for people spiritually and physically. We haven't talked much about it physically, but, you know, we have a major, major, major problem with divorce today. And I believe that ushers whoredom and harlotry into our lives as a result. Um, the Bible teaches us that there should not be no divorce. And Matthew is the only place in the Bible where you see the divorce exception. And it's only one exception. And that exception is a wife, not a spouse. Hear it clear. A wife that commits fornication. The Bible teaches that only a man could put away his wife for fornication. Now, a lot of churches today, a lot of these harlot churches today don't teach it like that. They teach, they make it more general and more fitting for today's culture. And they add to the word of God, which is a lie. They teach that a spouse could put away a spouse for fornication. And as a result, we have get we, we get a lot of divorces. Most divorces today in America are filed by women. That's right. Because of this teaching that a spouse could put away a spouse for fornication. And that's not what Jesus said. Um, Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter 19 in two separate discussions. Jesus said uh, that a man could put away a wife for fornication and whosoever marrieth her that is put away commits adultery and whosoever marrieth another woman that puts away his wife commits adultery. So the only exception is a, is a, is a wife that commits fornication. A wife that cheats on her husband. That's the only exception for divorce, not a spouse, because the Bible doesn't give women authority over the man. The, the Bible teaches us that God gives the man authority over the woman. That's why Jesus said it with great detail in the specifics in which he said. He says, but I say unto you that whosoever puts away his Wife, except it be for fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away also commits adultery. So you see there at the very end, we are able to understand as well that your marriage can be an adulterous marriage. That's right. A lot of people might feel justified and righteous because they are married. Not so fast. Jesus said, whosoever marrieth her that is put away also commits adultery. 
So your marriage can be an adulterous marriage. So that's critical, people. That's critical to understand. And once again, modern day culture, television standards, uh, things that we find ourselves influenced by has compromised these factors and these teachings. And now we have a culture of adultery and hortal and harlotry as a result. Men marrying other women, uh, other men's wives, men marrying women that they're not supposed to marry, uh, women divorcing their husbands because Dr. Phil and Oprah says it's okay and they feel justified. So they divorce their husband and marry another man. All of these kind of all of this kind of influence is kind is constantly affecting uh, the people of God in the church. And now we find a lot of ministries standing on the pulpit, uh, teaching the congregation of the Lord, uh, these worldly standards and calling them calling them Christ when they're not. So whoredom and harlotry is a major problem today. And um, that's why I love to re, um, point out this passage of scripture. And let's go to it right quick. Uh, in Luke chapter 16, it, 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 you know, it's a very powerful, powerful scripture because to me it says, it says very little in scripture, but it says a whole lot when you put it in perspective. Okay. Now in Luke, Luke is an end time chapter. Jesus is given end time advice in this chapter. Um, he, he talks about um, a guy who is smart and how he he prepares for his life when he knows he's about to get fired from his job. And he says, I can't beg. I, you know, I can't hustle. So let me go ahead and make friends with people who got some money so that when I get fired, I can have some people to fall back on. He, Jesus has given us advice that when the end times come and the mark of the beast system is in place and we can't buy or sell because we don't take the mark of the beast because we are being faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying that we can make friends with them of the unrighteous mammon. OK, he's giving us end time advice there. And then the last half of the chapter, he talks about Lazarus uh, and the poor man. And he's talking about the end times there. He's giving us end time insight and end time factors. Okay. Now, right in the middle of this end time chapter, there's one scripture that he jumps and talks about divorce. And he doesn't elaborate on it. He doesn't give us no more information. He just in the middle of giving us end time advice before and after he gives us a scripture. Luke chapter 16, verse 18. Whosoever put putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. And then he goes on to talk about uh, Lazarus. Where, where did that come from? Where does that come from? So when you think about it, what's going on here? What is Jesus really saying? He is telling us that he is warning us. That's what he's doing. You know, he is warning us that when the end times come, this divorce, adultery, whoredom, harlotry problem is going to be dealt with. That's what the warning is, because this is an end time chapter. And so he is warning us not to get caught up in all of this divorce and adultery and stuff. So I just think that's great. Um, 
that 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 Jesus does that. So, um, it's I'm about out of time, and I'm about to wrap it up for this week. But I hope you have found today's discussion very insightful, very informative, very helpful. Hopefully, even your faith has grown. Bible says, "Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God." And once again, I believe this ministry we keep it word of God. So. Hopefully your faith has grown as a result. Uh, hopefully uh, you have found uh, what you've heard today so enlightening, so beneficial that you want to tell others, family and friends, co-workers about the, the show, about the broadcast. Every Saturday at 5 p.m. Central Time, I try to be on Resilient Christian Radio Network. And uh, you can tune in online and, and check me out. Also, I have another avenue by which you can uh, hear from me and reach me. And that is thiefinthenightministries.com. That's thiefinthenightministries.com. There, uh, I have a contact us page where you can uh, click and submit a question, a comment, uh, tell, ask me a question or tell me something that I need to correct or, or, or fact check me. Um, however, uh, I would love to hear from you. And that's thiefinthenightministries.com Okay uh, Once again, thank you for tuning in To Get Your House in Order uh, I'm your host, Tim Aaron And my brothers and sisters uh, Above all things I hope And I wish that you prosper And be in good health Even as your soul prosper God bless, take care Peace Thank you for listening to the show We hope that you were blessed by the message from the Word of God. Come back next time for more of Get Your House in Order. I said one black morning, when this life is over, I'm gonna fly away. I'm leaving this cold world, going up yonder to that holy place. I'ma sit down, talk with Peter, sit down, talk with Paul. And I'ma say, take me to Jesus, the one who really paid it all for me this world. Get Your House in Order is copyrighted by Thief in the Night Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.